Thank you, Brian. I want to welcome everybody once again. I write the songs, was what the songwriter said. Songs that make the world sing. I write the songs of love and special things. We've been looking for the past three weeks at this song, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. Because as I reflect on the songs that we sing, I want us to really get an understanding of perhaps what the author was writing to teach us. Because as Paul said in Colossians, we are to, as we sing, we're singing not only songs of praise, but we're teaching and admonishing one another as we sing. Songs have teaching in them. Songs are easier, perhaps, to recall to memory spiritual truths because of the accompaniment of the music that we have with them as we hear the words, as we sing along with the tune. It aids in memory. And it will drive us to the scriptures to look at these things. What was the songwriter trying to say? Today we come to the third and final verse of Hold to God's Unchanging Hand in our songbook. It is a song that is one of my favorites. There are others. I mean, we have, I don't know, over a thousand songs in our songbook. But it's a good song. And the writer has told us and reminded us how fragile time is. That it moves with swift transitions. That there's nothing on this earth that can stand. So we have to choose to build our hope on things eternal. And we hold to God's unchanging hand. And we're going to trust Him. Why would we trust God? Because as she says, He will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring. The good times on the mountaintop experiences of faith... And in the valleys, when we wonder, God, have you forsaken me? We have the teaching of Scripture that says, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Earthly friends may say, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. But to God, we'll hold to Him. We need relationship. We want relationship, but Jesus calls us to be true to him. And then he reminds us some things right here. The songwriter does. But I want you to think as we get into this last verse, when your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, Fair and bright, the home and glory, your enraptured soul will view. It was 4th century B.C. Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu. Hopefully I said that right. He said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Now, a thousand mile journey does not sound very fun to me to do it walking. But if that's your mode of transportation... That's how you're going to do it. But looking at the full thousand is discouraging. I don't want to take a thousand mile drive today. 
I mean, as you think about it, I've got to drive from here. Well, I would do that today. Pheasant season opens up in Kansas this weekend. But anyway, be that as it may, I'm not going. But when you start out, you may start out excited, but you think of the distance. That's 1,200 miles. I don't want to do that. It's going to take two days of hard driving, two and a half days of hard driving. But you know what? The first few miles go pretty well because you're excited thinking about the destination. After a few hours sitting in the car, putting up with traffic and all the else you have to put up with, it gets a little old and you just get tired and tired. But then, as you get close to your destination, things change. You see signs that instead of saying 500 miles, it says 100 miles. And you look at your watch and say, that's an hour and a half or less depending on how heavy your foot is. I can do this. Pretty soon a sign says 50 miles, 25 miles. And then pretty soon if you have a satellite navigation system and you're using it in your car or your truck, it says you've reached your destination. And that's fun. That's exciting. You know, we are all on a journey as we walk with Christ. This world is not our home, the songwriter said. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So the angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Maybe sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in this world and we do feel too much at home in this world. journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Yogi Berra, noted for his baseball skills with the New York Yankees, was a unique philosopher. And if something sounds stated and backwards, you can almost bet somebody's going to call it. That sounds like Yogi Berra. He says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. What else is there to do? You're going down a road and there's a fork. You've got to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Robert Frost wrote, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down at one as far as I could as I as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other. He concludes in saying, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Jenny Wilson said, as she wrote this song, when your journey is completed, Obviously, that's dealing at some point. There's a time. When is a conjunction that deals with time? When? When you travel with children, it's when are we going to get there? How much longer? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. If you ask me again, I'll put you out. You can walk. 
never worked. Maybe I should have done it. When? We don't know when it's going to be. But she talks about not so much on the when, but she talks about the journey and its completion. There's a lot in that phrase. When I think about the journey, one of my thoughts goes to Abraham because he had a journey. In Genesis chapter 12, we don't know much about Abraham at this point. In chapter 11, verses 27 and following, we have the descendants of Terah, which he was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And they lived in the in Ur of the Chaldees, the land of they left. Terah took his son Abram and Lot, his the son of his uh, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter, and his son Abraham's wife. They went forth to, from the Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. When they came, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. So they were on a journey somewhere, and they stopped. 205 years. Now, I don't know what it was in Abraham's life, in Abram's life at this time, that God saw something in him like he saw in Noah when he said, build me an ark. But it says in chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Now he never got really where he was wanting to go. He lived there in the promised land, but it wasn't his to have. It was going to be for his family and God was working through him. You know, I think back to the garden when everything was perfect and God walked with Adam and Eve. But then sin and God had to stop them from accessing the fruit of the tree of life. So they were deprived from the garden and from that relationship with God. But God was always trying to bring it back to make it away so that we could have relationship with him. And I think we see in Abraham that life is a journey. And if we look at the Hebrew writer in chapter 11, this gives us a little bit of a hint into his journey and how he could do that. In chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He went out. But he didn't live that that was part of his home. He lived as in a foreign land. He lived as an alien. Lived in tents. One thing that's unique about tents is they're not permanent. If you've ever gone camping and stayed in a tent, you know how impermanent those are. All it takes is a little wind. And I can remember, Kathy and I hadn't been buried very long. My brother and sister-in-law came to Topeka. They were out seeing the family, and they stopped in Topeka to see us. And we had a tent. And so we went out to the lake, 
And there's a windstorm, rainstorm. We got up in the morning and there were a lot of other tents that were down, blown out, over. Ours didn't because my brother and I put it up the right way. And so that's what you have to do. But still, the wind was tough. They're not permanent. Abraham lived in tents. Why? Because you can pick it up and go. And as you're on a journey, if you're going someplace on foot, that might be the way to go if you're trying to go that thousand miles on foot. In chapter 11 and verse 8, 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. No, excuse me, back up. Verse 11, verse 13. Talked about those who, the honor roll of faith up here, if you will, some of them. These all died in faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. We prepared for them a city. If it was, he could always turn around and gone back home. But that wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for a heavenly city. They were looking for the city of God that God built. That's where they were going. And that's our journey as well. We're walking in the footsteps of Abraham as we live by faith. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 said we walk by faith and not by sight. Why? Because we can't see heaven. We can see it in faith. Because God tells us about it. And that's where we're going. We're going to that new place to live. When your journey, the journey that you and I are on, and she goes on to say, when it's completed, that tells me that there's a day that we're going to see it. I don't know what day that will be. It could be as described by Paul to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, because there were some Christians there who feared that their loved ones who had died before Christ came, that they were going to miss out. And so he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Meaning that we're not going to, just because we're alive when he comes, we're not going to get there before them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of the command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. There, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Your loved ones have died. They died in Christ. They're going to be okay. They're not going to miss out. We're still in this journey. Hang with it. Don't let your discouragement thinking they missed, which they haven't, take your eyes off the prize. But it's going to be completed at some time. It may be we'll hear the trumpet of God. 
We'll see tombs empty, saints rising. I don't know what it's going to look like. It may be the day of our death. For the Hebrew writer said, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So we know two things. We're either going to be united with Christ when he comes, or we'll die and we'll wait for that resurrection. But as Lazarus spent time in paradise, Luke chapter 16, that's where we'll go. To paradise. So we don't have to worry, but we have to keep focused on our journey. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Peter wrote to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, talking to us about grace in the midst of suffering. And he said in verse 21, For this you have been called, that is, suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When we want to see the journey, we have to look to Jesus. He said, if you want to be one of my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that look like? Our journey. That someday will be completed, but the journey looks like this. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Matthew 5 and verse 43. You know, the old way it was said this way. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really? That makes the journey kind of tough. And we'll talk more about that momentarily. He says, why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and good, sends rain on the just and unjust. He says, look what God is like. That's why you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because God does. He sends rain. He sends sunshine on both. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about being like Christ. Becoming like God. Listening to Him. And doing and living what He said. And so it would further look like this in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14... He talks about, and this is the parable of the wedding feast, the parable of the great banquet, excuse me. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, crippled, lame, blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One of the scenes, maybe a couple of times in this video series, The Chosen, that I've mentioned before, and 
didn't work out for us to do it the way we're set up right now. That may be changing. We'll see how that goes. But anyway, we see Jesus having some of his disciples with him, and they're cutting wood. And he says, no, cut a little bit more. Well, why? This is enough for us to stay here. He says, yeah, but there's going to be other travelers along the way. Let's leave some for them and make their way a little easier on their journey. That's not found anywhere in Scripture, and I know that. I think it is found in the heart of Jesus. As he says, you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, because they can't repay you. This stranger who's traveling after you, he can't repay you. He's not even going to know you did it. God will. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So that's what our journey is like. And it's going to come to that day of completion. And then the song goes on with another phrase. If to God you have been true. If is a powerful two-letter word. It's a conditional conjunction. It's stating a condition here. That condition is your walk. Has it been true? If to God you have been true. Are you living faithfully? What does it mean to live faithfully? Unfortunately, we have made living faithfully to be measured by attendance. Contribution. But you know, we are a family. We have responsibilities to one another. To encourage, to love, and lift up one another in prayer. And we need to do that more and more and to a greater degree. We need to truly understand these things that Jesus said as we read of him in the Gospels. And see what his life was like. And put that into, how would this be today? Christianity is not just about meeting here and listening to read, preach for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, two or three hours, however long I can squeeze out of y'all. I didn't hear anybody say keep going. (laughs) Maybe that's a keep going. I don't know. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. There we go. Get an amen on that. All right. If to God you have been true. It's not, is it important to come here? Yes. Is it important to be in class? Yes. Why? Because that's where we meet and we can encourage, we can get deeper into the Word, we can be encouraged by the Word, but we see one another and we know what, we learn what's going on in their lives, but there's more to it than that. There's also a world out there that's hurting and we have to show them Christ. When we run into somebody, we see what their day's going like. We take a little bit of time. Maybe we just stop for a little bit. Maybe we give two bucks to the guy begging on the corner. I don't know. Yeah, will he use it to buy beer? Maybe. If somebody said, and I don't know if I can say it the way it was, you know, what I give to somebody is between them and me. What they would do with the money is between God and them. So once it leaves my hand, it's theirs. I've given it to them. Now what they choose to do with it, they'll be accountable to God. 
So if you give that two bucks, five bucks to somebody, if we help somebody through the benevolence office, the benevolence at church, what they do with the money, if, it's up to them. It's between them and God now. If they lied to us to get it, that's between them and God. We just were told of a need and we acted like this is what God would want us to do. Leave a little bit more wood here, fellas, because there's somebody coming after us. It'll make their journey a little easier. If to God you have been true is not how many hours we attend in the course of a week. We should want to attend. We should want to be here with one another. But we have to get Christianity out of the building as well so that when people see us, they know that we're Christians. Treating them kindly, compassionately, and doing those. Because that's what's faithfulness to God is. That's being true to Him. And so, if you've done that, and there are those who say, well, you can live the way you want, pretty much, because you cannot lose your salvation. Well, Paul deals with that. I think the parable of the prodigal son deals with that. I think there are other passages of Scripture that deal with that. But Paul was very clear in Galatians chapter 5 about can we lose our salvation or not. He states in Galatians chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, therefore, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free in Christ. That's it. Stand firm. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Paul, what are you talking about? If you accept circumcision as a means of obeying God and, keeping, and earning your salvation, it's no advantage. Christ will be of no advantage. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you want to go back to the law, he's telling these Galatian Christians, and follow the law, then you're under the whole law. Circumcision can't be removed from the law. It's a part of the law, and you're under the law then. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by law, by the law, you have fallen from grace. You've gone back. You've turned your back on Christ. You want to be true to God, you follow Him by faith. Not by what you do. Now, what we do is going to demonstrate that faith. James said, you show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You want to see that I believe that God is? I'll prove it to you by the things that I do. John would write, and James would say it similarly in James chapter 2. If you see your brother or your sister in need of food and clothing, you say, be warmed and be filled. What good is that? John would say it in this way in 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love. That he, this is chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you love somebody, you're going to do what they need. You're going to help them out. Not that you're going to be looking to be repaid, but because there was a need and you were able to meet it. And that's what living by faith is all about. That's being true to God. And then the promise is, 
Fair and bright your home in glory. A new heavens and a new earth. Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and following, Since all these things are thus to be to the us to be dissolved, what sort of people ought to you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I'm doing some reading about this new heavens and new earth. I'm finding it pretty interesting. And I'll let you know more of how that reading goes. Because maybe we've made heaven to seem something like this. Well, maybe that it's someplace up in the clouds. What's he mean by a new heavens and a new earth? I don't know. But I just know it's going to be a glorious place. In Revelation chapter 21, he tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, crying, or pain, for all former things have passed away. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I see those descriptions and it's going to be tremendous. And Jenny Wilson said, and your enraptured soul will view great joy. I challenge you to just go to the internet and search out pictures, you know, first day in heaven. There's one that sticks in my mind, and here I wish we could show it on, the, on a screen behind me if we had the technology in here to do so. Shows a young girl with her arms around Jesus. They're hugging each other. I've seen other images of families together, reunited together with loved ones who had gone on before them. Just imagine somebody who's been away for a long time. You know, one of the things that I see, you see a lot on social media are military men and women who've been away for a year. And they come home. And they're going to surprise their mom, their dad, their spouse, their children. And they'll do some creative things. I've seen some dress up in some school mascot. And then they reveal themselves. You know, they come out and there's this hugging and the tears. And, you know, brethren, if they do that today, imagine what heaven is going to be like for us. But your walk with God has to be true. You have to trust him. So we recognize that time is filled with swift transition. Nothing on this earth is going to stand. We're going to build our hopes on things eternal. We're going to trust in him who will not leave us. We're going to, no matter what happens in the years as they go by. Though earthly friends may forsake us, though family may abandon us, we're going to still cling to God. Because he has the words of life. 
And so then we will be confident when our journey is completed. And it won't be, are you saved? Are you ready to meet God? It'll be yes. Because I'm going to be okay. I want to get there. And we'll live that way. And it'll be a glorious day. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life as we've gone through these three verses of this song. But hopefully this has shed a little bit of light on this song to maybe make it a little bit more impactful when we sing it. And I just want you to know that if you haven't started that journey with God, you can start it today. If you've gotten off the path, because, you know, Yogi Berra said, as you come to a fork in the road, take it. Jesus said there are two paths. One's a broad way and with a wide gate. We don't want that one. He did say there's a narrow gate. And the highway is tough. Sometimes life is tough. But it leads to life. So you come to that fork in the road, take the right one. Take the one that leads to life. And if we can help in any way, won't you please come to Jesus while we stand and sing this song for your encouragement.